Hey, hey, friends, I'm Thea Charles, and you are listening to the Push or Pivot podcast. In this series, we discuss the path someone chooses when they are at a crossroads of their life. Do they push through the adversity, or do they stop, reassess, and pivot? Our guest is Chelsea Galicia. Chelsea is a financial coach for people who are ready to face their finances. She's a recovering attorney, and her passion is getting people excited to tackle their financial issues, the mental ones and the practical ones, along with showing them how to take control of their money. In this episode, Chelsea shares how her passion came to be. Welcome, Chelsea. I am really excited for our conversation today. Welcome to the Pusher Pivot. Thank you. I'm really excited, although a little bit nervous to be here because I think this may be one of the first times that I have told my story really out loud. And so, yeah, this should be fun. I really enjoyed reading about it. So I'm excited to hear it coming straight from your mouth. Um, (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, I I guess I would start off saying that I am a lucky member of what they call the lucky sperm club. Oh, where you are born into abundance. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was as most things are a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. But it um, but that's what I think has given me a really somewhat unique perspective on, on money and is led to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uncomfortable a bit to talk about that. Um, I kind of sometimes wish that I had more of like a rags to riches story, you know, because people can say, you know, I started down here and look where I got, but yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have that story. My parents did, you know, mm-hmm. my mom was, born in a dirt floor home in Mexico. My dad had nothing. But by the time I was born, they had started to figure things out. And I had a, you know, full-time nanny and housekeepers and somebody to cook and clean my room. You know, I should be really embarrassed to say, but this is just to give you a sense of what it was like. I never, I never made my bed, never did laundry. Um, you know, beyond that, there was just, um, you know, second houses, one at the beach in Newport and, you know, one in the mountains, maybe, uh, you know, we'd have one in the desert near Palm Springs, you know, it was, it was like that. And even just you saying that it doesn't sound completely atypical. Like, I, I know you're not alone on this, especially when you talk about how your parents started from nothing and made yeah. their way up. I mean, I can even think about my own parents when they came to this country. We had a lot more than what they had when they were growing up because they were giving us all the things that they didn't have. And yeah. sometimes I can feel like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like yeah. a little pull there. And then it's certainly, you know, you get more self-conscious of it when your friends come over and they look at your house and they're like, oh my God, this looks like the pink white house. You know, it it, it becomes obvious that, yeah. you know, I had even more. And, um, I would say that getting into high school started to feel maybe guilty about it. You know, my mom and, and, and my dad too would, would take us down to Mexico where my mom was from every year. We would drive 16 hours down to a little fishing village called Wymus. 
okay. in Mexico. And we would give away used clothes, toys, shoes every, every year around Christmas. And it would really help ground us and really help us see all that we had. And for me, I internalized that into a little bit of, of guilt and obligation to, to do well in school because I knew that was really important to my parents. Yeah. Um, to be good in gymnastics, because even though gymnastics was initially something that I really wanted, you know, I saw the 92 Olympics and I was like, Oh, I want to do that. But yes. <laughs> yeah, after a while, my parents, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was my perception, but it was my, it was my job to do really well in gymnastics too. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that in order to honor my parents, the, the accomplishments, their hard work, all that they had given me, that I just owed it to them to do really well in school and to not squander the opportunity that I had to do really well for myself. And so I, I really took that on as like my charge and I studied really hard and I, you know, you know, got to college and I, even though I was in a sorority, I still studied way too hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, waved people out the window as they were hanging out. And I was just, you know, studying, studying. At first I wanted to be a high risk OB. Uh-huh. And then um, in my first year of college, actually, my mom got cancer. She got lymphoma. Okay. And uh, which actually turned out to be a relevant detail, but I wouldn't know it at the time. Uh-huh. Of course, you yep. never do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she faced the lymphoma, went through chemo and she did fine. And I remember maybe six months afterwards, we were at our timeshare in Maui, you know, her with her little, her little, you know, hat because she had no hair anymore. And we kind of thought that that was it. Mm -hmm. And we just, you know, kept going and I kept working hard, but I started to feel like, man, this Western medicine maybe isn't quite for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, mom, what do you, what do you think I should do? Cause I don't, you know, and the chemistry classes in college were not my thing. Girl, I feel you. I, <laughs> I was a bio major, pre med as well. Yeah, so you yeah. know, I, I I tried that, and it it just it wasn't for me. I guess perhaps this was my first experience with push or pivot. And in yeah. that moment, I asked my mom. I was like, Mom, I don't think that being a doctor is for me. What do you think I should do? Mm-hmm. And she's like, Well, you know, uh, if something happens to your dad, which was a nice way of saying if your dad were to die. <laughs> Um, the family would be in big trouble because our, our major source of income was the law firm that my parents had started. And, uh, my dad was the lawyer and my mom was like bookkeeper, controller, accountant, the the business mind behind the firm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, only a lawyer can own a law firm. So if something did happen to him, she would be forced to sell it. I see. And so she explained that in a very dramatic sense, that if I didn't become a lawyer, somebody in the family didn't become a lawyer, that we would lose everything. And Mm -hmm. I don't remember if she was that dramatic when she said it, but (laughs) I, in my little, what, 19, 20 year old mind, I remember it being that dramatic. We'll lose everything. (laughs) So, uh, so I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll be a lawyer. Uh, sure. And, um, so I, I switched majors. Mm-hmm. And then in my second year of college, my mom's lymphoma came back again, oh. like a year to the date. 
Wow. And this time it was much more serious. Her chance of survival was, you know, in like 30%. Mm-hmm. She had to do a crazy, you know, round of uh, chemotherapy sessions followed by a, actually she came home, then went back for more chemo. Then she had a stem cell transplant mm-hmm. and it got, it got pretty grave for a while. And um, at that time she said, if I don't recover from this, I'm I'm not going to fight it again. And, uh, or even she's like, even if I do recover from this, like if this comes back again, I just can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we started to take health really seriously and she had the inkling that her, her, her focus on work was really part of the reason why she got the cancer and why it had come back. Um, to say that my parents were intense about work would be quite the understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, even in their off time, they were thinking about it. How do we improve it? How do we motivate employees? Yep. Um, how do we deal with this or that change in the law? Um, you know, more so my mom than even my dad, she was constantly thinking, reading business books. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on her mind 24 seven. And as their, you know, empire grew, my mom was in charge of taking care of everything, you know, our 10,000 square foot house, plus the other houses, plus the vacation stuff. Plus, you know, they eventually bought a commercial building that then the law firm was in. And so all this stuff was a lot for my mom to manage. Uh, And, and she is pretty sure that that's what got her sick. And so even after just the first time, she's like, I need to slow down a bit. Mm-hmm. but I guess it wasn't slowed down enough. And so it came back a year later. Wow. And, uh, and, and then we got serious about being healthy and she cut way back on work and uh, started really on a spiritual path. I think that kicked it off for her. I think um, when she was in the hospital, somebody had given her the book on tape at the time or a CD at the time. Right. <laughs> Um, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. I'm not sure if you... Oh, I feel like I've heard of that. Yeah. And uh, when when I heard somebody had given it to her when she was in the hospital, I went and I got it too. And then I remember that's when my Oprah obsession began. And yep. so there in my sorority house in the, in the room, I would, mm-hmm. you know, watch Oprah at three o'clock every day. Um, and starting to see the messages about, you know, following your your heart's, you know, desires and... Mm-hmm living with intention, but still it didn't really do much to me. And here I was going on this path to be a lawyer, even though it wasn't really what called to me, it just Mm -hmm. felt like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so off I went to law school Uh and, you know, had a pretty good time in, 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 in law school. And I was like, well, maybe this is for me, Yeah, you know, um, this feels like it could fit. And I started working at my dad's law firm when I was in law school doing depositions. Okay. And I really liked um, teaching clients just uh, about their deposition as, Mm -hmm. as it was about to happen. Uh Um, The field of law that my dad practiced uh, is workers compensation. So these are people that get injured at work and uh, we're filing a claim to help them get benefits. And, uh, so I started in, in law school and then 
graduated law school and I was working there and turned out the first time that I took the bar, passed it Mm -hmm. and off and running. And here I had this life Mm -hmm. almost perfectly laid out for me. Right. Yeah. The idea was that I would, you know, learn the basics of handling the files and then help my dad, you know, manage the firm Mm -hmm. and eventually take it over and, you know, support myself and, you know, the family and, you know, continue the very, very nice lifestyle that I had had my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, and that was it. That, that was, that was the plan. And, and, you know, and I could say that the work was a little, was a little satisfying, you know, when you're helping people who don't really often have a voice and you're helping them stand up to, what are often big, bad insurance companies advocating for them. It can feel really good. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I just started getting that gnawing feeling. Mm -hmm. Gosh, this is really not a fit for me. I remember leaving the deposition of a doctor and driving away thinking, well, actually it wasn't even a thought. It was, you know, the voice Mm -hmm. that said, this is not my life. Yeah. And I argued with the voice. I'm like, what do you mean? This is not my life. Are you kidding me? This could not be like, you know, more ideal. Mm -hmm. You know, here I am honoring the, my, the work of my parents, maintaining the lifestyle that I want, um, helping people. Mm -hmm. How, How could this not be it? Um, and I tried to ignore it. And, uh, but you know, of course, when you try and ignore the voice, it just gets louder. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would, I just noticed myself feeling really run down. Like I could never sleep enough. In fact, you know, this is a little funny, but Mm -hmm. I even, I thought maybe there's something wrong with my sleep. So I had, um, I had this doctor, um, you know, often in work comp, people's sleep is affected. So we need to send them to sleep specialists to get their sleep studied. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to ask them if they'll do that for me, because I really think there's something wrong with my sleep. I mean, I am constantly exhausted. Yeah. And, uh, and they did a sleep study on me. Um, you know, cause of course you're the managing partner's daughter. Sure. We'll do a sleep study on you if you want one. Right. Okay. So I was like, this for sure is going to find something. And wouldn't you know it? I had a 99% sleep efficiency. There was nothing wrong with my sleep. I sleep well, like a baby. Okay. So that wasn't it. Um, and, and so I, I just was kind of sort of on edge, not really knowing. And, and then like, what else would I do? So anyway, I tried to ignore it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then I slowly started to realize, holy shiznat, hopefully that's, that's allowable on here. Okay. I am starting to see that my father is not who I thought he was. I thought he was a noble attorney doing good things. And I can imagine people listening saying, oh yeah, an attorney, of course. Well, what did you expect? Well, you know, my father had always talked to me about integrity about doing the right thing, about doing a great job at whatever you do, and that the money will be a natural byproduct of your good efforts. Yeah. But I could see the way he was treating people in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, um, 
I guess I don't want to go too much into that, but it, it just, it just wasn't. It's different when you're working with someone, you, you weren't with him just as dad. Now you're with him as a coworker and you saw a different side. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, and it, in it, in my eyes, it, it got sort of worse and more, I guess, offensive. Right. And so I thought, my God, am I going to become like that? Mm-hmm. I really, I, I hope not because that is not a happy person. Right. And then wouldn't you know it about six months after I really started to see that he decided to leave my mom. Wow. After 26 years of marriage. Wow. And uh, all of a sudden, and you know, you know, well, all of a sudden I just realized I'm like, there's no family anymore that I need to protect. No, mm-hmm. each is, they're going to go through this divorce. They're going to get their half right, and go their own way. And so I started to see or feel that the sense mm-hmm. of obligation was kind of falling away. Yeah. And I saw that I didn't want to be like my dad. And I, and I was like, do I really want to be able to buy a new Bentley every six months and be that angry? Mm-hmm. You know, right. Things, just questions like that came up in my mind. And quickly, like the answer was, was no. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say this is really that crossroads moment. Yeah. What it, you know, it's, it's the moment that came to me when I, when I first learned of, of, of your work here on this podcast of, of talking about people pushing or pivoting through a moment. And as soon as I, you know, even saw that phrase, that is the moment that came to me. Yeah. So I was like, well, I've got some choices to make. Mm-hmm. And I was in the really, really fortunate position that I didn't have student loans. Yeah. And um, God, I feel almost guilty saying that because I know how many people do mm-hmm. and how heavy they are, what a burden that is. Mm-hmm. I, I know other people that I went to law school with that came out of school with $200,000 worth of debt between law school and undergrad. Yeah. But, you know, and, saying that, I just, <laughs> just, it's important to remember that we all have different burdens, you know? You had a different burden than them. Yeah, it is so true. Mm -hmm. It's really so true. And, and people, some people would try and explain that to me, but it it was hard because I saw so many people have the burden of money and that I, and that I didn't. So, so then I, I, uh, I, I stayed working at the office for a few months. And then in the beginning of 2010, it just, was like, just, I I couldn't do it anymore. And I want to say that it was around that time that I saw an uh, episode of Oprah that forever changed my life. And Mm -hmm. it was, um, oh dear goodness, what is his name? Um, Tom Shadiak, who is the director of Ace Ventura and a lot of those Jim Carrey movies. Okay. Okay. He was on Oprah to promote his documentary. Um, Oh my God, it's my favorite documentary. And of course, in this moment, I'm blanking on it. It'll come back to me. Okay. 
Um, but the question that the documentary ra- like raises, like what's wrong with the world and what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. And um, part of the answer is that people doing work for you know the money and the glory and mm-hmm. the ego reasons ego. Mm-hmm. um and i can see okay yeah i think that even though i could justify being a lawyer in this field helps people and i know people can't see me but i'm like using air quotes, air quotes. as I <laughs> helps people that it, that that wasn't really the main reason i was doing this Mm-hmm. because truth be told, I didn't even see that it helped people all that much. Right. For as much uh, as you hear as people filing fraudulent claims and getting money that they're not entitled to, that's really not the case mm-hmm. for most people. 99% of people don't get nearly mm-hmm. enough to compensate them for what you and I would think is just fair. Right. It is not fair. Um, the amount that they they get for some of the the injuries and the impairments that they have, and even if I spend years and years fighting and fighting and fighting to get them money, mm-hmm. these people generally don't know how to handle money, mm-hmm. so they get a chunk of money, mm-hmm. and in almost no time, it's gone through their hands like water. Mm. And their life is no better off for all this fighting that I did for them for several years. Mm-hmm. So I could see it wasn't really helping. I could see the kind of, you know, you know, the anger and the, the sort of the, just the egotistical culture that mm-hmm. existed, not just in the law firm, but, you know, in, amongst the lawyers that I mm-hmm. worked with. And of course, many lawyers, mm-hmm. I, I think, as, as most people can attest to with, without ever having been in the legal field. So that um, documentary, I I saw it and I watched it like a million times and it just gave me the courage to pursue something that really felt that it was, that it was for me. Mm And uh, I didn't quite know what it was, but it gave me the strength to let go mm-hmm. of the whole law firm thing and this life that was set for me. Wow. And, uh, and so I did. I, I quit. And uh, I, because my dad had been in this industry for so long, I knew many other lawyers, you know, with law firms in yep. workers' comp. And uh, in fact, I, one of my friends, was a guy whose dad owned a work comp firm and he worked for his dad's work comp firm. And he invited me to, Hey, why don't you come work at our firm? And I said, you know, I'm not interested right now in working full time, but I'll do some depositions. Mm -hmm. So depositions can last, you know, two hours, five hours, maybe eight hours, but it was, um, it was a cool, you know, side uh, gig that I stumbled across and, and it was great. So I would be doing a couple of depots a week. Mm-hmm. And then um, apparently I was pretty good at it. And the um, interpreters who would be interpreting from English to Spanish, yep. who, were, who attended my uh, deposition preps with my clients, 
would say what a good job I did. And then they would tell other lawyers about it. Got it. Mm -hmm. So then other lawyers started hiring me to -hmm. cover their depositions. Mm -hmm. And then I did, you know, doctor depositions as well. well. So it became this um, sort of in-between career. And it worked out great because I was working fewer hours. I would say 20, Mm -hmm. 25 hours a week making more than I did full-time at the law firm. Wow. And uh, I would get to set my own schedule. Like I could, you know, choose to go out of town and then just, you know, decline any um, offers for depositions in that time. And so I did a ton of traveling. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I discovered this organization that went to Guatemala and built schools out of plastic bottles stuffed with trash Wow. was amazing. I, I went six times in seven years uh, and, and did a bunch of fun trips too. And it was like, okay, this is the yeah. life. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, you know, my mom had left the, the law firm mm-hmm. and she set up a nonprofit called the Financially Fit Foundation because she wanted to teach people what she knew about money. Uh-huh. She felt that her way out of poverty and her mom's way out of poverty was not only their little businesses, which started off as little food stands and then restaurants, but in the way that they managed money. Mm-hmm. And my mom learned from my grandmother because my mom was like her little right-hand woman. And by the age of eight, my mom was going to the grocery store by herself to get all the ingredients for the restaurant mm-hmm. and was a full-time cashier mm-hmm. and full-time dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So that gave my mom a good foundation for managing money. And, you know, when she came to the United States, she, you know, finished high school, went to college. She actually graduated college when I was 10 years old. Okay. It took the long way, but her whole thing, um, yes, my parents made a lot of money, yeah. but what she attributes their long-term success to mm-hmm. was in her ability to manage it. it. And she knew that so many people struggled with money because they, didn't know how to manage it. Mm-hmm. She knew that people thought they struggled with money because they didn't have enough, but it wasn't the amount that they had. It was their lack of management skills. Mm-hmm. So she just started this nonprofit by inviting people to sit in her living room mm-hmm. and she would just start, you know, talking about finances and because she loved it, she could go here, there and tangents and questions. And she was kind of all over the place. Yeah. And after a while of doing this, she figured that she needed somebody who was a little bit more structured and she enjoyed a more behind the scenes uh, role. Mm-hmm. And she knows that I like to talk a lot. Yeah. Um, so she invited me to be the workshop leader. Okay. So, um, I didn't know at the time, but this, it turned out to be that thing that I was looking for. And, uh, you know, at first I accepted because, um, I knew that I just liked teaching, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I knew about my mom's finance stuff, but I wasn't like super into it. You know, your mom tries to tell you something, your dad, tried, you're like, oh God, I don't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. But, um, but I really enjoyed teaching. My favorite part of being a lawyer was educating my clients about, you know, the process of workers' compensation or teaching them about the deposition that was a, set to occur. So I, I knew that about myself. Yeah. And so when she offered this to me and it was a chance to be a a teacher and a bit of a public speaker, which I have a weird affinity for. So I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm I'm just here like, 
<laughs> yeah. So, okay, sure. And then in order to teach about money, I had to learn her system. Yep. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. This, this works pretty mm-hmm. well. You know what? And some of it I had kind of learned by osmosis just from being her daughter, yeah. but really learning the system inside and out. And then going to the next level and being able to translate it into normal people speak because she's an accountant. Yep. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I say that I, she, she speaks Olivia knees. Her name is Olivia uh-huh. because it's like English is her second language with the side of like accounting. So, uh-huh. so it's, it's a little difficult well, to understand. Yeah. Right. But I, but I could understand her concepts and take them into something that was uh, understandable and maybe even enjoyable for people. Mm-hmm. And I became the workshop leader, and that was kind of just like this, this hobby that I had while I was doing these depots. And then, as time went on with these depots, um, um, I did this probably almost seven years. Okay. And then I had that feeling: I'm like, this this whole setup looks great, but when I'm sitting there for those hours of that deposition, I'm again feeling like this is not my life. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, I need to pull back on this. And I, uh, I started doing fewer and fewer to kind of slowly wean mm-hmm. my clients, yep. you know, off. And, um, uh, and I think it was around that time when one of the participants in the workshops asked me if I would coach her in applying these same principles to her small business. And I was like, oh my God that sounds like insanely so much fun. Like you wouldn't even believe. Yeah. And I realized saying it to myself, how crazy it sounds to be really excited to help somebody with their business finances, but like, oh my God. Yeah. So exciting. And so, um, and so I started, that started my, my career as a, as a financial coach. Wow you know, just right there. And, uh, and, and then she told people about it who told people about it. And really, um, I think that's how every single client has come to me, maybe except for one or two. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that seemed to like naturally unfold. Yeah. And totally, totally lights me up. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, now I do maybe one or two depositions a week. Okay. Um, I just I I just feel like I'll just want to keep up some of those yeah. lawyer skills. Some okay. of them do come in pretty handy, and some okay. cases are interesting and helpful. And I and I understand that um, it's a smart thing to have a diverse um, stream of incomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll hold on to that a little bit, but as I move into coaching, I, I really just love it more and more because I get to help people run a business mm-hmm. in a way that aligns with their values That's awesome. instead of their egos mm-hmm. so that they are truly fulfilled by their businesses and don't end up like my parents. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I just love how I just love how in your whole story, your whole path here, you might not have known where you were going, but then you can look back and see, oh, that was such a good 
that's why, and that's why, and that's why. And it's just, you know, everything happened to get you where you are today to help these people with their businesses. And you saw the pitfalls before with the people you worked with, the depositions. And this is just, just truly awesome. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I had, I I swear, I, it's, it's all to Oprah that I give credit to the fact that I was able to have faith in allowing life to unfold Mm. because before that uh, I was very much sort of in control, making the plan Mm -hmm. for my whole childhood, you know, high school and college and becoming this and the lawyer and, Mm -hmm. and everything was all you know, plan laid out. And I just followed that plan that I had come up with. And this required that I let go mm-hmm. and allow things to unfold. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I ever jumped in both feet into the deep end, right? but still allowing things to unfold and, and, and let go enough to be able to walk the path. And damn, I'm so glad I did. Yeah. That's so awesome. Gosh, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. I feel I feel really fortunate to be able to like sit here and listen to this. That's so sweet of you. Seriously. That's so sweet of you. So I I I feel so immensely um like honored now. I'm like, oh now I can see what was the purpose of me having that unique perspective Mm -hmm. that I had growing up. Yep. That I had all this abundance, that I saw these two people, you know, build an empire of tens of millions of dollars. I know what it takes, mm-hmm. but I know the pitfalls of it. Yes. I know what to watch out for. I, 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 can, I can see that if people carry on a path that they're on, that many people are on, that they will get cancer, that they will get heart disease. I can, you know, I can, I can just, you know, spot it like a lawyer spots an issue i can i can see it it's a lifestyle it's a personality it's a way of intense you know being always being on high alert yep absolutely and then i can also see you know what happened with my dad where um you know i'm sure he had an ego to begin with mm-hmm. um but the money just made it bigger and bigger um but it didn't, I don't believe, make him any happier. Mm. Because I don't believe that if you're truly happy, that you can be angry so often, so deeply and so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and to be unkind or disrespectful to people. I mean, I understand we all have our moments. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, I can, but I can see that when you work towards money and the stuff and the power in the house or houses and the cars or whatever it is for people, this external validation that it is never enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that people become resentful that it's not enough, that it never fills the void, mm-hmm. that they feel like what the F is going on here? Like mm-hmm. here I have all this money, all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm but I'm still unfulfilled. There is still a void and they're almost angry about it and it seeps into their whole life. Yeah. And, um, and so, and so I came to believe that there is a right and a wrong way to get rich. 
And uh, when I wrote the book on the system that my mom and I teach, I, I called it save yourself Mm. and save is an acronym Mm -hmm. for spend in alignment with your values, not ego, because that is the linchpin Mm -hmm. to be able to be rich, whatever that means to you. Right. And, you know, happy and fulfilled, satisfied, hopefully healthy right and kind to yourself and others yeah i think that's that thing being kind to yourself and listening to yourself internally instead of being so immersed in the external yeah and man is that so hard but you know i think one of the benefits in this crazy time that we're living in right now Mm -hmm. is that we can see more clearly what are all the things that we were doing for external validation or compliments or admiration? Yep. Um, from s- small things like, you know, spending money on, you know, makeup and mm-hmm. nails and all that kind of, and that kind of stuff um, to needing to feel like, Oh my God, I need to be out at these restaurants. I need to be out at this festival. I need to be, here or you know there i need to have this we don't you're realizing you don't have that and you actually don't need it i feel like some people are having a real crisis right now because of it because they're like no i really thought that i needed that but shoot i don't need it but but they are actually well actually yes i do that's why i need them to open up so i can go get my haircut or something um so it is it is making it easier for some of us to catch how much of our behaviors, how much of our spending mm-hmm. was ego driven. Yep. And this is not to say that, you know, oh, if you wear makeup or if you get your nails done or if you wear nice clothes, that you're an egomaniac. Right. Not at all. Right. Right. There, there is something to, you know, dressing and presenting yourself well and respectfully mm-hmm. and appropriately. But we all know that many of us got carried away. Yeah. Yeah. And um because we wanted to be impressive. Yeah. And we get caught and, in the comparison trap. Yeah. It's the most dangerous trap that there is. And it never goes away no matter how much money that you have. Mm-hmm. But I think that if people are able to see their ego for what it is, mm-hmm. figure out really their values. Yep that that is the quickest way to becoming rich or feeling rich Mm. and it's available like here and now. Yeah. That's awesome. Really, really awesome. Can you say the name of your book again? Sure. It's called save yourself, how to develop the financial fitness to spend in alignment with your values, not ego. It is set to be released uh, on June 1st. Oh, okay. So it's not out yet. So uh, um, by actually by tomorrow, it should be up and available for pre-order. Okay. And um, and definitely when this podcast is out, we'll all be able to run and get it. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And it and it really is the practical, but also the emotional aspects 
-hmm. of getting control of your money and your spending because that is the if there was a secret to yeah. money because you know i don't really believe that there are many, many secrets but if there was mm -hmm. this would be it it's through managing your spending and i know that there's a lot of gurus out there mm -hmm. who are like there's only so much money you can cut out of your spending what you should do instead is focus on your income because there's no limit to that and then let me sell you my course on how to make a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listen, not to knock courses at all, because I soon hope to have a course where I can help people yep. implement the save system into their life. But the reason why I don't recommend that people first look at increasing their income mm -hmm. is because of this thing called the hedonic adaptation. Have you heard of this thing? I haven't. Where um, I think maybe an easy example is, uh, your iPhone, yep. you know, when you got your iPhone, it was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. This is so exciting. Woo. You know, FaceTime. Yeah. Um, and then like after a few months, it's kind of like, it's nice, but like, whatever, you know, I'd be pissed off if somebody stole it. Like yeah. I don't want anything to happen to it. I don't want it to break. <laughs> But just having it is not, it's not making me jump for joy anymore. You kind of got over it. Mm -hmm. So, so then, you know, in another year, then they come up with a newer one and you're like, Ooh, when I get that one, that's when life will get lit and I'll be happy 24 uh seven. -huh. Right. And so then you, you work to make the money to get the next version and you yeah. get it and you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. My selfie game is up to a whole new level. <laughs> like Instagram watch yep. out now, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then after a while you're like, eh. yep. right. So that process of getting used to whatever your circumstances are is called hedonic adaptation. Okay. And it's a feature of humans that makes us be able to get used to good circumstances or bad circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, is that if we don't recognize it for what it is, then we get ourselves on the rat race of yeah. striving for the next thing, believing that it's going to be the next thing that makes us happy. Yeah. And then what happens is as your income goes up, all that it does is it increases the number of things or the the amount of money that you spend trying to keep up with the next thing. Yeah. So, you know, it could be anything. It, it could be, you know, um, going out to restaurants twice a week makes me happy. If I go 20 times a week, I'll be happier, you know? And so you go more often and the restaurants you go to become more expensive. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the car you get, you upgrade your car when you get a raise. And so, so you find that you, you just start, inflating your lifestyle, yeah. lifestyle inflation. It just keeps going up. So you never end up getting ahead mm -hmm. because you haven't kept your spending in check. Got it. It's kind of like more money, more problems. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, this isn't to say that, you know, no matter how much you have, you should always live off of a thousand dollars, you right. know, don't enjoy great things, you know, just always live bare bones that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. It is to be intentional. So to come up with a plan, mm -hmm. also known as a budget, but yep. one that you really like that reflects your values so that when you're spending in accordance to it, you're like, 
yeah, man, I, this, this is the life. Like I'm getting the most happiness bang for my buck when mm -hmm. I spend it this way. And that develops a muscle financial fitness so that you control your spending and your income doesn't control it. Cause if you're financially, what I call financially flabby, you uh -huh. tend to just spend all the money that you have, mm -hmm. no matter how much you have. That and that's, you know, 70% of Americans, mm -hmm. even before coronavirus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that uh, around 70, sometimes 78% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, which includes, can you imagine this? Hundreds of thousands of people who earn hundreds of thousands of dollars a year living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. I have read, and it's almost like shocks me so much. I, I can't even believe it, but you know, I, I hadn't personally confirmed this, mm -hmm. but I've read that 10% of millionaires live paycheck to paycheck. Wow. So, so again, it's not the amount of money that you make, because if you never learn how to get a really firm grasp on the spending, you're just a paycheck away from ruin. If you don't know how to flex that muscle, right? No matter how much you have. So that's what I, 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 adore helping people develop that skill and then light up about it because at first it feels like ugh, one more thing to become mindful about right especially when what you see on tvs movies influencers mm -hmm. wolf of wall street is being rich means i get to be mindless and not care what i spend my money on because yeah. there's a ton more where that came from yeah and one of the really i think the most um unhelpful images that we have in our mind is the rich person who spends money without giving it a second thought. Yeah. Because I think a lot of us say that's what it means to be rich. When mm -hmm. I don't have to look at the price tag, mm -hmm. when I, when I just don't care that I will be rich when I can have what I want, when I want it, that's it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can be a little bit difficult to be like, well, actually, that's not really true. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, there are rich people that live like that, but they are rich for a season, not for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. I think we can see that a lot in professional athletes. Yep. I was going to say musicians and professional athletes that you read about and you're like, how? Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of people who've come into money um, without first learning how to manage it. You know, I imagine, imagine it this way. I, I explained it to this way in workshops. It's like, imagine that, um, you're like, I want a house. I want a house, 10,000 square foot house. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, cool catch. And I throw you a house, 10,000 square foot house. And it like lands on you mm -hmm. <laughs> like squishes you, right? <laughs> Great visual, right? Mm -hmm. The reason that that house like fell on you, it was, it was too much weight for you to be able to hold up. Yeah. If it, same thing, like, you know, if I, if, if somebody throws you somebody, you know, a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, the weight of that, it, it, it is a responsibility and a weight and the weight can crush you if you don't have the muscles to hold it up. Yeah. If I throw you a 100 pound weight, it would crush you unless you had started off lower five, 10 pounds, work your way up 20, 30, 40, 50. So that one day when I throw you a hundred pounds, you can catch it like a paper clip. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Same thing with the house. I want to be able to 
toss you a 10,000 square foot house and you're like, oh, I got this. And you have the strength, the fortitude to hold it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think that enough of us see it that way or recognize that that's what it's like. Mm-hmm. So you want to be financially fit first before you go and make as much money as you want. That's so smart. That's really smart. And I really love that visual with it. You're a great teacher. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. This has been so, so cool. I'm I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, If you can give us one Mm -hmm. piece of advice, what would Mm -hmm. that be? Um, I guess it would just be a reiteration of what I said before that Mm -hmm. the real, the way towards money and happiness Mm-hmm. is to spend in alignment with your values, not ego. It means getting clear on what those values are. Mm-hmm. There are many ways to do it. The way that I suggest in, in my book is just one of, I'm sure, many. Yep. Being able to identify how your ego acts out. You know, maybe your ego really likes shoes and maybe my ego is like, well, I got to be at all the um, the festivals around the world. That's Mm -hmm. how my ego feels like it's good enough, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to identify how our ego acts out, Mm -hmm. what our values are, come up with a plan, and then stick with that plan. There's a little bit more to it, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit getting right with your relationship with money, and a little bit more on organization, Mm -hmm. but that's, you know, it's all laid out. in the book. Mm-hmm. And I would be happy to talk to anybody, you know, they can email me, contact me. If they go to my website, chelseagalicia.com. There is a contact form or you can set up a, a consultation call. If you want to talk through, you know, if it's for potential coaching, great. Or if not just to really answer questions mm-hmm. about, um, what they learn from the book, because I love helping people implement it into their life because it lights, it it like lights them up. And then it's like contagious to me. And it is the most gratifying, one of the most gratifying experiences. So um, I I really do hope um, to be a resource to your listeners. Yeah. I, I hope people go and We'll definitely have your website in the show notes. I was checking it out earlier. It's really good. So check it out. Contact Chelsea if you have questions. And Chelsea, this has just been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. What did you take away from Chelsea's story? Do you make decisions based on your ego or aligned with your values? I'm Thea Charles, and I hope you gained insight from this story. If you'd like to learn more about the Pusher Pivot podcast, visit us on the web at pusherpivot.com or on Instagram at pusherpivot. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and join me next time on the Push or Pivot podcast.